0: folks, this is Always Be Watching. It's our weekly discussion about, that's right, what we've been watching. My name is Dan Barrett, joined here by Chris Yates.
1: Hi Dan, it's a pleasure to be here with you once again.
0: Pleasure is all mine, I assure you. Mr. Yates, each week we talk about what we've been watching. It's right there in the title.
1: It's right there in the title. I'll do the little spiel. We've known each other for about 15 years. We don't know anything about each other's personal lives, families, anything like that, because all we do is talk about what we've been watching. Look, we don't
0: know. We don't want to know. No, no, definitely not interested. I couldn't be less interested. <laughs> but Chris Yates, we've decided to take our real life vomiting of TV recommendations <laughs> and adapting it to the podcast medium, which is where we are now.
1: That's right. We're, we're even in a purpose-built podcast studio.
0: Yep. No televisions. And you know why? Because if there's a TV in the corner, we're not doing this podcast, we're watching. We'd
1: be watching it, exactly right.
0: So anyway, if you don't know Always Be Watching, there's a website, alwaysbewatching.com. Through that, you'll find articles, reviews, this podcast, and also a daily newsletter. It comes out telling you about all the stuff that's happening in and around TV each and every day, except for Sundays, because much like the big guy up there, i got to rest (laughs) once a week.
1: That's right, you got to have some time to yourself, Dave.
0: Yeah, and by the big guy up there. I'm not talking about any sort of religious deity because that's just nonsense.
1: No, no. I, thought, I assumed you were talking
0: about David Letterman. Yeah. <laughs> he he rests like three days a week. He recorded two shows on Thursdays. Oh, what was really? that guy about? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Such a ripoff. So, whenever he spoke to the audience talking about, you know, this is a great Friday night crowd, it's just a lie because oh he's doing God, it on a Thursday. Don't ruin it for me, Dan. Yeah. But also, he hasn't been on TV now for about four years.
1: No, that's why, that's why I thought you meant he was up there in the like, uh, you know. Um, the TV
0: pantheon of gods. Yes, yes, yes. Of yeah. course. Chris Yates, it's enough of this nonsense. (laughs) I want to talk about TV. All right. So, can I ask you a question? Sure. And I hope this doesn't get too personal. All right. But what have you been watching?
1: Well, Dan, I'm glad you asked. Um, This week, I watched a a very interesting special on Adult Swim, which was called Craft Punk's
0: Political Party. (laughs) Okay. I have no idea what this is. A lot of people in America think the government is controlled by secret societies. What do you think? I think everyone's free to believe what they want to believe. But do you believe it?
1: As you can hear there, Kraft Punk, he's a bit of a robot. Sure. Um, he looks a little bit like the Daft Punk robot, except with macaroni, I'm assuming craft macaroni and cheese stuck to his helmet.
0: It's, What's the animation style on this? This is
1: not an animated show. This oh, really? is he's a real character. I've, I'll get straight to it. Kraft Punk. Sorry, you did say Adult Swim, so that's usually cartoons. I know. Kraft Punk was born out of the Eric Andre show. Okay. Some viewers might not be familiar with the Eric Andre show. It's probably one of the single greatest television shows of the modern era <laughs> Eric Andre Big call <laughs> Eric Andre definitely revolutionised the talk show format with Hannibal Buress and just it's just nonsense like it's just an incredible show Sorry can I ask a question?
0: Yes Can you have a revolution when nobody's watched it or paid any attention <laughs> to it?
1: Well Dan if you'd look <laughs> if you took the time <laughs> to look at the YouTube compilations of Eric Andre f- footage from his shows you would see there has been very many Tens of thousands of views. This show, it's the whole concept of the Eric Andre show was that it's a disaster. It's its its produced by the same company, like Tim and Eric's production company. It's got heaps of that terrible Tim and Eric style editing, weird things happening. Uh, Eric Andre spends about half the show outside pranking people and the other half of the show sort of inside his studio pranking people and like just having guests on that he makes fun of and does just horrible things too. While Hannibal sits in the corner just... Disgusted that he has to be there and annoyed at the entire process. He hasn't been on for a couple of years. He's been doing these little one-off specials. And so
0: we should say it's like a talk show, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's yeah. like a
1: talk show. He hasn't been on uh, the the show hasn't been on regularly for a couple of years. There has been a few specials. He went to Paris. I think it was like the start of last year and this year we get the Craft Punk political party. Interestingly, I think the show is more the um the brainchild of one of the show's writers producers Dan Curry. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. No, don't know him. I don't think he's done anything much more than the Eric Andre show. He's obviously a comedian buddy, but he's very very funny and he because the nature of of craft punk much like the their namesake daft punk it doesn't really matter who's in those costumes like it doesn't really matter who's in this costume he's just out there being as long as you can be a jerk kind of hassle people and pretend to vomit up cheese in public you too could probably have a chance of being, okay <laughs> being so chris i Kraft don't punk.
0: i don't understand at all anything that you're saying right now so can can i break this down okay okay so eric andre is he part of the show He's
1: in it a little bit. I assumed he was in the craft Punk costume until I read an interview with Dan Curry, the crea- well, the co-creator, who yeah. said that he sometimes was, that Eric sometimes was, but he also said in that that uh, hundreds of thousands of people have also been in the side <laughs> of the costume, which I think might have been a little bit of an exaggeration. So, it's hard to know what to believe, really.
0: Um, okay, so let's assume there's like five people that are in this <laughs> costume. Unlike Daft Punk where there's two guys, it's just this one guy. One robot, yeah. And essentially he's harassing people on the street. Yeah,
1: so he's mostly going up asking people serious political questions with a monotone robot voice
0: while And, and this is like standard sort of vox pop stuff, like we don't yeah. they don't know what the thing is, they just film random uh, people.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's that's a, a big part of it. But that I should mention that um, another big part of this show, which is kind of what gave it a bit more substance, is the um it's it's also got some panel documentary uh, some panel conversations. So they will get three guests on. He referenced Sorry.
0: Led by the Daft Punk. Yes,
1: led by. Sorry, what's his name? Kraft Punk. Kraft Punk. He yep. sits in the corner and says things in robot voice to encourage the conversation. He mentioned Ali G and the panel discussions that Ali G used to have with real guests as the um, point of, you know, his kind of inspiration for it. But I think you could pretty clearly go back before Ali G to the um, Brass Eye uh, Chris Morris program that had a little that had elements of this in in that as well which I'm sure that um, Ali Jeep, I'm sure that Shasta Baron Cohen probably saw that program. So there's a fantastic panel in the uh, special where they get a flat earther, a 9-11 conspiracy theorist and a birther, as in like a, you, yeah, know, yeah. you know what a birther is, but Obama's birth certificate on a panel together and um, just kind of get them to question each other's beliefs in these um, (laughs) ridiculous things, all of whom are just mortified that they've been lumped in with these people that clearly believe something outrageous. Interestingly, like, yeah, nobody had a... um Nobody was consistently believed in all of those three things, and the, and each person that believed their one thing thought the other two people
0: were ridiculous. So, which is really interesting. I thought I like that as just a real life human representation of a Venn diagram that just isn't intersecting at all. It isn't at all, and you could expect
1: it was. So, like, there's there's some little conceptual bits like that in it. There's a little bit of formula stuff, but. A lot of it is just um, you know like really quick edits of Kraft Punk at the Washington Memorial, just like vomiting and stuff. So anyway, I loved it. It's fantastic. If you're a fan of um, if you're a fan of Eric Andre, you'll definitely be already a fan of Kraft Punk, who
0: did show up in quite a few. I think in just the last season of the Eric Andre show. This sounds both amazing and terrible. Is this like most adult swim things, like a 15-minute kind of a job? I think
1: it's 22 minutes. The TV show... The TV series was like 12 minutes, I think, but these specials have been like 25, 26, something like that. Oh, so these are ongoing specials. They're not like an ongoing show? Yeah, so this one is a one-off, apparently. And then, and like, uh, the Eric... I think they're going to be doing like... It seems like they're going to do one a year for a little while. I I don't know if there's anywhere else... I hate to say it, but I don't know if there's anywhere else you can go with the Eric Andre show. And that doesn't matter because I can just keep rewatching the three seasons over and over again. I have to do it with somebody else in the room, I, I tried watching it a few times by myself and um fell into the sort of like uh, wheezing, uh, lost a lot of oxygen and I felt like I was going to, um the things weren't going to pan, pan out well. So I like to have a, you know, like I don't know, um, somebody along for the ride who's just keeping an eye on me and making sure I don't die from laughing too hard.
0: Like if you're going on a serious drug trip, you need that person. <laughs> That's right. So, yes, yeah. exactly.
1: But I forget what they call that person to hold your hand and make sure everything's okay. So yeah, I require that for a lot of the Eric Andre show. This was, you know, maybe not, maybe not the heights of some of his greatest stuff, but it was still very entertaining. Interestingly, as well, it's on the Adult Swim website. It's not geo-blocked, so you can watch it anywhere in the world. I don't can't imagine it'll ever get played on any kind of maybe channel nine seven thirty on a wednesday night <laughs> yeah so that's it um craft punk political party i should point out the craft is spelled k-r-f-t just <laughs> of course it is
0: just in case you want to know that and um yeah fantastic stuff yeah sorry how long were we talking about craft punk for <laughs> not that long i don't think okay i just felt a while yeah yeah is it, it yes no i'm definitely going to check that out i think that sounds wild It was wild. And um,
1: yes, I'm very glad I watched it. But I'm very curious now to hear, Dan, what have you been watching?
0: Here's the thing, Chris. I invited you into this room. Like a good dinner host, I feel it's important to pair your meal with the, you know, accompanying beverage that's going to follow. And so going from Craft Punk, I feel it's really appropriate for me to pair that program with, you know, the show I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the Good Wife spin-off, The Good Fight. It's called micro targeting. Sites like Facebook offer it to advertisers to refine their ad dollars. It was weaponized by the Russians during the last election. They could target their fake news articles towards smaller and smaller groups. You're saying this was used against our jurors? Yep, through their Facebook pages. Chris, have you watched The Good Wife?
1: No, and I've got to say, this is going to sound mean, but it's mostly just because of how much you go on about it that I haven't watched it. <laughs>
0: Chris, I think you've missed the entire reason for our friendship, but whatever. Every now and then, there's a show that you're just so passionate about that I'm just like, I'm definitely not going to watch that. Here's the thing, Chris. It's really fucking good. (laughs) All right. All right. I will watch it. I will watch it, (laughs) dude. Okay. So, I'm going to talk about The Good Fight, but I feel the need to give the standard spiel into this. Yeah. So, there was a show called The Good Wife. I watched it. I dismissed it immediately. It seems to me a very um, stock standard legal drama coming out of the US. Network show, so obviously it can't be any good. Okay, you got Juliana Margulies, who I love, but also she's in this network show. Christine Baranski in it, who I love. It's this network thing. There's a court case every week. She gets involved. She's a good wife, you know, right. whatever. The thing is, the show is surprisingly good. Yeah, right. uh, so after like about a season of some fairly sort of stock standard story of the week type stuff, they start introducing and playing around with the idea of what a court case can be on television. So instead of just the court case happening, really they started picking out stories from the world of technology and media. And because it's a law firm, they have like very specific sets of clients. So some weeks it'll be a client they've never heard of before, but then I have some clients that come in regularly. So they end up taking on a client called Chum Hum, Which is like a Google type company. Right. And so they dealt with like technology stories quite regularly. And it was always just like interesting things. So, one of the first places I heard about Bitcoin. Was an episode of The Good Wife, and they were dealing with cryptocurrencies. Okay, so it was kind of like cutting-edge sort of stuff at the time. And Bitcoin doesn't sound like anything cutting-edge now, <laughs> but you know, eight or nine years ago, like this is actually yeah, it sure you know, sounded like that. I no was talking
1: about that when my coworker told me that I should definitely get on board his um, Bitcoin <laughs> investment thingy that he was getting onto. That guy is a millionaire now. He got out at the right time, and I'm a schmuck. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Yeah. It's a
0: true story. I know. I had the opportunity
1: to buy a bit of Bitcoin. (laughs) Didn't do it. Same time that guy told me to bet on like Pete Sampras doing something impressive in the tennis. And it won him like 600 bucks. I didn't get anything. I wouldn't have had to do anything
0: anyway. Man, that guy. So anyway, The Good Wife, unexpectedly good. So I became obsessed with that show because it was really good. Yeah, you went on about it all the time. I did. After seven seasons of that, they wound it down. But they brought along a direct-to-streaming series called The Good Fight. Now, the first season of this I thought was quite good, but like it never really quite found its voice entirely. But from the second season and now coming to the third, which kicked off last week, the show is kind of firing on all cylinders. So the show is very much a lefty political slant on what's going on. And much like in The Good Wife, The Good Fight would represent sort of real life things that are happening around us. Ripped from the headlines. Ripped from the headlines. So it's doing that law and order thing, but contextualizing it within the world of a law firm. So, because Trump's obviously in power in the US and the people of whom are writing it are a little bit aghast by such a thing, okay, that's represented really heavily through this. I don't really want to delve too much into it because it is still kind of like an episodic case of the week sort of a thing. But the case of the week are often things like uh, they've got their hands on the PP tape. Okay, oh, yes, so it's yes, like, right. what do we do with the PP tape? Okay, so you've got things like that taking place on a regular basis. They take the idea of a lore show and take it to the most extreme, wild thing that they can do in any given episode. Something that I've added for this season going in is that in the middle of the episode, it actually cuts out to an animated... Uh, I can't think of the name of the thing. It's like Schoolhouse um, Rock... You know what I'm I know about? the
1: thing you're talking about. It's the,
0: parodied The Simpsons as yeah, the i am an amendment, amendment to be. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what I always think of it as, because we never got the schoolhouse rock.
1: Yes, but I have seen other references to it yeah. since that Simpsons episode. Yeah.
0: But they do a parody of that now in every episode. So halfway through, there's like an animated short explaining something about the way that political structures or, you know, economic structures work. And so it kind of explains something with a lot of like just interesting jokes and like weird sides through it. Anyway, it's funny, it's weird, you wouldn't expect it to be as good as it is. But, like, it's legitimately got the best guest stars that ever appear on TV. And in terms of a batting average, it's got a greater success rate, episode per episode, than I think any other show on the air. Wow. This is this is high praise. It's phenomenal. But, yeah give it a look like just watch one episode that's all, right, all i'm asking for right, is right. just watch one
1: is it a fictionalized trump or is it a, a real trump i know it's the real trump it's the real trump all right so, uh, so
0: in the episode that returned uh you've got a storyline with the christine Boranski character who's like this old like second wave feminist of whom's running this law firm now uh her partner that she's had since the good wife days uh played by gary cole Mm -hmm. Everyone loves Gary Cole, right? Uh, Office Spaces Gary Cole. Office Spaces, uh, the Brady Bunches Gary Cole. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah. He is fantastic. (laughs) Who doesn't love him? He really is.
0: And he appears in like everything now. You probably should have just told me he was in it. I I should have. already watched it. Uh, But he's like a Republican gun-toting, ballistics expert. Anyway, he's retired, but he still needs to make a little bit of money. So, he's been taking people out hunting and he's an expert showing people what to do when they're out on a hunt. Anyway, he's uh, been off in like some, you know, um, some work situations that he hasn't been telling his wife about. And she's convinced, Christine Bransky's character, that he's having an affair because he fa- she found a long blonde hair on his bag that he takes out. Finally, she confronts him and it turns out he's not having an affair, but rather his two recent clients are the Trumps. As in uh, Donald and Eric Trump. Very good. So it's one of Eric's hairs that she found on the thing. In a way, I think that's worse than having a hair. Yeah, I was going to
1: say, she's probably more aghast at that, right?
0: Absolutely. But the revelation of that, I just thought was glorious. But yeah, if you're not watching The Good Fight, you are actually missing out on what I think is one of the smartest things on.
1: When when you used to talk about The Good Wife all the time, I just sort of assumed it was uh, maybe like a spinoff of The Gilmore Girls, which you really enjoyed as well. Yeah, which is also phenomenal. (laughs)
0: Let me tell you about The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Chris. (laughs) But no, nothing like that. It's just that there's the female sort of name in the title. Yes, that's
1: obviously all it is. uh, And just my preconceived notions of things that you enjoy, which of course are a lot broader than the caricature I have of you in my head.
0: (laughs) But yeah, The Good Fight, I honestly think you'd probably get a kick out of it. How do I watch it? Uh, So you can get it in Australia. Season three will be coming to SBS at some points. It's CBS All Access in the US, which debuted the third season (laughs) About a week and a bit ago. You can find seasons one and two on a few platforms now. So Amazon Prime, have it, and, and Australia Stan also carry the first season. Cool. And that was... And I think you can find the good Wife on those platforms as well.
1: Okay. So that's interesting when you said it was a um, network show and then went to... Went to streaming. So, but the same company, obviously.
0: Same company. Huh. So CBS used it in a way that they used Star Trek to launch their streaming service. Their show they actually kicked off with was The Good Fight.
1: Yeah right. So that doesn't. So Star Trek doesn't play on broadcast television in America. No,
0: the first episode I think may have aired on CBS, and to then to like the
1: streaming service. to suck people over. Exactly. Well, that's very interesting. I didn't know that was happening.
0: So Chris, what have you been watching?
1: I watched a whole series. let's well, say whole series, six episodes of fantastic documentary series on Netflix called trigger warning with killer mike you may know me as killer mike i'm a grammy award-winning rapper and my ideas are often controversial the greatest hindrance that black people have is white jesus i want to see a black savior i hear you loud and clear will you leave my religion now i'm not just deliberately trying to watch things that i don't think you might have watched but i
0: am a little bit trying to do that so Here's the thing, I come so close to watching that. It's just I've had a lot of things to get through the last few weeks.
1: So, Killer Mike's an interesting character. He's a rapper. He put out a really amazing album um, called Rap Music with his producer, uh, who's a white guy, um, who's been around for a very long time in the rap circles, underground rap circles called LP. They started a group called Run the Jewels, uh, which became wildly successful tour the world festival ready i would call
0: that band now this annoys me a little bit because i always thought my debut rap album was going to be called rap music as well <laughs>
1: yeah well, there you go um there's still you can still do that there's a precedent for people having um, similar album titles so i wouldn't worry about that at all um, what if i call it songs in the key of rap music i've got some killer beats if you want some beats to go <laughs> uh we could actually just do it right here in this in this fancy studio um Now this this series is just excellent. Uh, Killer Mike's a very very uh, he's a he's a really loud character in America. Like he's um not not afraid of um you know speaking up and saying what's on his mind and talking about things. He wants to change the world and you know but he kind of does that in a he wants to change the world. But I get the feeling that he's a he's a bit of a lazy guy. Like he's not gonna go that far and do it. So I think as far as he's gonna do is like make this TV show and hope to influence some people and change their. Change their um, way of thinking, which, in the greater scheme of things, is actually—it's enough. It's a lot more than I've done, Dan, and it's—and it's, it's, and it's uh... Don't sell yourself <laughs> short. But yeah, you're right. Um, so I was—it was really interesting going into this because obviously there's been quite a lot of kind of political um, documentary-style series on Netflix. Some of them are very serious. Killer Mike's music is at times very serious. Uh, famously, he had a song where the chorus was I'm glad Reagan's dead where he, um, or the hook at the end and where it was all about um, you know, the kind of mess that America's in today and how it was influenced by or how Ronald Reagan was the start of a lot of the um, horrible things that have happened for America and especially for black people in America.
0: Um, now, obviously, there's never really one thing that starts inciting co- no, you know, <laughs> a go. No.
1: Um, yeah. I, I, sorry, were you going to defend Reagan?
0: I, know I was going to say that the reason why people took on Reagan is because you know there was a certain political environment in of the United course, States. Of course, of course, Dan. Yes, yeah.
1: Um, but you know he obviously made some decisions and had some policies that will have um, created vast inequality and things uh, in America. Uh, so anyway, it was, it was interesting coming into this, like how he was going to play it out. But the funny, the, the most, um, the most sort of uh, thing that the most startling thing about it was how just really, really funny it is. He's an incredibly funny guy. Um, i 'll just talk about that so, so each episode sort of focuses on a different part of the world he wants to change one's about schools or education um, one's about well the first episode is about it's it 's basically about buying blacks so he kind of he looks at <laughs> this is an interesting thing to, to to sort of talk about in a way that's that, uh, that, that, that respects the concept, but basically he looks at the economic advantages um, of segregation for the black community in America and how. During segregation, because the american black Americans were forced to um, you know not use banks um, that white people used not use businesses that white people used, there was this um, very strong um, black only economy that um, existed and allowed for people to run small businesses and a lot of things that he finds very lacking obviously in today 's America so he basically um gets on board with this idea of like um, and which is a movement in America, of course, as well, but it's basically buying black. So you're just trying to spend all... You're trying to keep all your money in the black community. And he kind of does this in a hilarious way where he decides he's going to do it for... Um, I think it's like 36 hours, or it might be a little bit longer than that, but where he's only going to buy black. So he realizes then that he can't use any cars because there aren't any... There aren't any black-owned automobile companies, so um, he can't use cars. He can't use public transport, so he's just got to walk everywhere. So it kind of turns into this funny thing. He then realizes that um, he only buys weed off Mexicans and white university students, so he can't buy um, he can't buy any weed. And you know, he's a very big he's a very big um, pro weed uh, um, activist, and also obviously smokes it a lot. So he's already kind of miserable about it, and realizes that it's a bad thing. But he um, – that it's that it's a um, – not a bad thing, that it's a foolish thing, a foolish venture that he's embarked on because he misses out on his favorite thing. Um, but from there, you get to – you know, he interviews some people who are really um, heavily in- involved in the movement, somebody that runs a website that tells people how to do it. He talks about the Green Book in a way that's really interesting and um, – um, the Green Book, of course, was something that was given to, um, or that was handed around amongst Black Americans in the segregation, so that they, if they were travelling, they knew where they could go and businesses. And they, again, he looks at the kind of he, he he wants to bring this concept back, so that people are keeping their money in the community and not spending it on white people. Fantastic idea, very very funny. He plays it for laughs, and I think that's why it works so well. And still really gets you thinking. And you know, introduced me to some concepts that I definitely hadn't thought of. But it was done in such a kind of like funny lazy way that it made it even makes it a very pleasurable viewing experience
0: it sounds to me a lot like the sort of viceland shows it is heaps like those
1: viceland shows um but with a like a you know a very he's a he's a great he's a great um lead and he's very you know he's a very likable personality
0: i'm really taken with what you said about each episodes about him trying to fix one of the injustices that he sort of sees in the world and I started thinking about myself and what I'd focus on in my six-episode <laughs> yeah, yeah. Netflix series. Yep. So I'd probably focus on the flavor selections at a Ben & Jerry's. Yep. I don't know if that's going to be a full half-hour show. I, I reckon you could probably stretch it. Because, man, it wouldn't just be what's in the ice cream you but really the ones that are being sold in the supermarkets as well. And it, it's a whole thing. Yeah, right, that's, yeah that's right. Yeah. Uh, the fact you never find like someone serving you at Meijer. <laughs>
1: that does suck, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: it's not great. Uh, I don't like when you go to a public library and all the books are laminated. Why do they need to laminate the book? It just cheapens the book. It, it doesn't does, really feel like does. you're, you know, when you open up a book for the first time, like there's a feeling that you're about to enter a world. Here I feel I'm about to enter lamination. It's, it's <laughs> a thing. Uh, and also like, why isn't the peri-peri souls at Nando's the defaults? When you yeah, there, You have to oh, ask man. for the peri-peri salt. And the thing is, their chips are garbage, but you add the peri-peri salt, it's delicious.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's no point of eating them without the salt.
0: Yeah, so what's that? That's like four things. I've got to work out my final two episodes.
1: That's right. You've got a little bit of time before, yeah. before Netflix is going to come calling, I reckon, for that one. You think so? But Because um, yeah. these are important. <laughs> that, I, I understand completely.
0: I mean, a bit of cheeky Nando's.
1: That's right. So, And I think um, once you've got your rap album in the can, yeah. that'll be the perfect thing to move on to next. Very much so. Killer Mike's Trigger Warning is... streaming now on netflix highly recommended i hope there's more i really really hope there's more of it because it's fantastic that brings me around to the question that you never thought i would ask dan i've I've got
0: a feeling i know what it's going to be what have you been watching chris that wasn't what i expected but let's go with it anyway i mentioned earlier a little service called cbs all access i mentioned they launched with two programs called the good fight and a little show called Star Trek discovery this last weekend, Chris, I've been catching up on a little show called Star Trek Discovery. Oh my god, it's so good. I know where you're going, Pike. Cut your engines immediately. That's an order. I'll start following
1: orders when you start telling the truth. Or did you not think I'd find out what you were going to do to Spock? Last warning, Chris. Stand down. Deborah drop us in over Talos Four. Oh, well, the second we're in range, start scanning for our people.
0: Now, Chris, when you asked me the question earlier about CBS All Access, I hadn't actually put two and two together in my head that these both like, are from the CBS All Access service in the US. Do you work for CBS All Access, Dan? No, but, you know, if they send me a phone call, I, I'm open to the conversation. Excellent. Star Trek Discovery, do you watch this? I watch it. Now, you don't show me as a Star Trek guy. I'm not a massive Star Trek guy. I Watched the
1: uh, original series, you know, various points on and off. I did watch it right through, probably when it was on VHS. Yeah. Uh, at some point. Um, and this would have been know, on
0: the couch, right? On the couch.
1: Yeah. Ca- call in a haze. In a haze. In my in my younger days, probably <laughs> when I was unemployed. Um, and then I've watched, um, you know, I've, I've, I've even recently in uh, the past kind of decade, I've tried really hard to get a bit. Um, more in oh, i watched quite a bit of deep space nine due yeah. to also reasons of unemployment and <laughs> and living in a share house with someone who watched a lot of deep space nine and i loved it i got right into it i've never revisited it but i have tried to revisit um the next generation on more than one occasion and i'll always you know I, i've I've had lofty uh, ambitions to watch every episode and i've gotten about three in and just been like this is never going to happen but i love dipping in and out of it
0: next generation's a bit rough because that first season is very
1: patchy. it's hard yeah that's right But if you
0: throw yourself in midway through and then maybe just go back yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I've so I've enjoyed a lot of that. Um but I really have not no, I've I've certainly never been um uh what you would describe as a tricky, although It I've, sounds to me like you've watched a fair no, bit of Star Trek. Watched a fair bit. But you know, like I'm not a there's people I've I know people that watch everything and, and have watched everything and will continue to watch everything. Yeah. Um but maybe uh and I haven't really talked to any of those um people about whether they like Discovery as much as I do.
0: Now a lot of people of whom are into Star Trek are people and it's probably an age bias sort of a thing where the people I know who are in Star Trek are of my age-ish. And so a lot of them grew up with the 1990s era Star Trek and have seen maybe the original series and the animated series. I don't know if you've ever seen any of that. <laughs> no, it's kind of I haven't. fun. It was like a late 70s. Of, yeah, 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 right. Cheaply animated, but kind of cool TV Kirk show. Kirk and Spock and stuff, right? Kirk and Spock yeah, and everything.
1: Yeah, totally. I've had to seen a little of
0: that. Yeah, so... When I think about Star Trek and Star Trek fandom, it's always through the lens of someone who's watched it through the 90s. When I talk to people about Star Trek Discovery, a lot of them aren't into Discovery at all because it doesn't feel like 90s Star Trek. It's a little bit off and it's a bit different. Okay, And what I think it is is that Star Trek Discovery kind of feels a little bit more like the original series, but also it's the really woke version of the original series. And I feel that there's a lot of efforts made on the show to have sort of a cutesy sort of fun elements of the show for people of whom are part of like woke, like Tumblr communities, rather than <laughs> sort of talking to, there's a very specific mindset yeah, that I'm yeah, trying to yeah, tap yeah, into yeah, and yeah. I don't know how to really sort of explain who these viewers are without sounding offensive. And I don't want to sound offensive about it because I think viewers can come to things in their own uh, way. Yeah, absolutely, and absolutely. There's different audiences for different shows. But I think the show they crafted for Discovery wasn't the show the classic Star Trek people have been interested in. So when the Orville came out, which is Seth MacFarlane's uh, Star Trek homage, that actually looks and feels a lot more like 90s Star Trek than Discovery ever has. Sure, so they latched into that. Yeah. Star Trek Discovery, I quite like that first season, but there were definitely elements to it that I never really quite connected to. But I feel the second season, and the second season's a little bit rough, because midway through, the showrunners were fired off the show, okay, for reasons of uh, just being nasty to their staff. Oh, that sucks. Jokes. That's my understanding. Anyway, after that point, the show kind of starts to really find its voice quite nicely and gets rid of some of the Tumblr-ish elements from the show and instead sort of focuses a bit more just on sort of straight narrative. And Star Trek should never really quite just be about straight narrative. From classic Star Trek onwards, there's always a lot of metaphor that takes place. It's really representative of trying to talk about the world's ills but through sci-fi concepts. So I haven't found any of that in the back end of this season, but I also appreciate it's a troubled production and they're really just trying to write the ship, quite literally.
1: And this is interesting too. So you call it like a, you, you know, you mentioned the sort of workness of it, but, you know, the original Star Trek series was, um, of course, very inclusive in its acting lineup. and it was, Hugely it, progressive. Yeah, it was heaps progressive and it went out of its way to do that. And it's and it sort of... Um, was, I guess, you know, at the end of this, the hippie movement and stuff like that, and it was um, looking at, you know, exactly what you said, like it was using uh, these sci-fi concepts to talk, sort of talk about our modern ills, but it was also very much about um, representation of the, the different people in society sort of representing the Federation's overall, or overall goal, right, which is bringing yeah. the whole universe together.
0: Look, I think that's completely spot on, and those elements certainly exist within Discovery and are amplified to an extent. I think the issue is it's a bit of a structural issue where original Star Trek is very much episode of the week. You raise the metaphor you're dealing with, you explore the metaphor, you close it off with a fight scene, you know, (laughs) come back next week. Okay, a few phases, you know, it's all taken care of. In this, because it's an ongoing narrative where there's episodic elements to it, yeah. but there's largely a ep- like a series long storyline that takes place over the whole thing. Many kind of right. Yeah. There's a few that are there's all kind of complicated and. But I think because they're playing into like the sort of cutesy character moments and really amplifying what's going to work well as Tumblr pages, which Tumblr doesn't even exist any. I mean, it still exists, but no one uses yeah, it. No, I don't even- uh, so that audience is kind of dissipated. But like, it's the kind of thing we'd expect to see that imagery sort of on Tumblr doesn't exist anymore and so the show has always felt just like it was talking to an audience that isn't quite there for it and it's just always felt a bit awkward and because you have got that series long storyline taking place i think those feel a bit more on the nose than they would have if it was a very straight 43 minute you know exploration of the issue so how do you feel about tilly i actually like tilly but i do feel that she gets overplayed a little bit See, I love her and I think it's one of the
1: reasons I've really liked the show. But I do do think, yes, there's obviously been a lot of that reaction and they have really cranked up her character um, in this this season. In the
0: back half of the second season, though, I think they really reduced her character a fair bit. Yeah, right. Because previously she was kind of like the Mary Sue character who could never do anything wrong. And any time that she came onto the scene, it was kind of like Poochie's there and everyone has to focus on Poochie. And it's like, Poochie, you're so great. You're so wonderful. Uh, but they kind of realize, oh wait, no, she actually kind of is a cool character, but maybe in limited doses and she's fantastic and I
1: think and, yeah, and that's what works about i I think it you know it's an ensemble like a lot of the other Star trek has been there's obviously mm. a couple of central f- characters that are really a focus, but um it's great watching i i I love the sort of I love the nods too that. Which I consider kind of a nod to that 90s zero like i don 't think they 're totally ignoring that sort of stuff where they give no. where they do give which might even go back to the original series, but where you know you 're sort of starting to see little side stories drop pop up for the other. Um, for the other uh, crew members who have so far just really been on the bridge. Um, the most recent episode having the um, story sort of focusing on the uh, Android character whose name I can't remember. Yeah. I'm not too sure either. Um, but Which was just, I really, really loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was uh, a nice sort of TV thing. You know, you know, it felt like a TV show, but in a good way. Like I've, some of it's, I felt, I think felt very cinematic and some of it's felt very um, serial, you know, like, like you say it, that it's just servicing this kind of long story. But, yeah, having that little bit of focus on those characters, I think, is
0: really cool. Yeah. The one thing I've really loved about this season is the introduction of Anson Mount, who plays Captain Pike. Now, Captain Pike is one of these characters from Star Trek history. He was the original captain of the Enterprise. So, when they shot the very first episode of Star Trek, the pilot back in, like, 65 or 66, whenever they would have shot the pilot, show started in 66, but I just don't know when they made the pilot. (laughs) Of course, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Because... when the show started obviously captain kirk's the main character but they had this pilot episode which the network felt didn't really work okay and i had this guy playing this captain pike now that episode uh, they bring back captain pike for like a two-parter episode i was going mena- to
1: ask you if they yeah. brought back so he was yes. there it's called
0: the menagerie it's a two-parter
1: it's a it's a classic episode i remember
0: <laughs> <clears throat> i don't think i've actually seen like the menagerie but i know i've seen the cage which is the very first episode yes right Anyway, the most recent episode of Discovery that we've seen, and quietly we're doing something slightly sneaky here, which we're recording this a week early. (laughs) I have to give that because people are probably watching this week to week. And they'll be like, oh, that was weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, Captain Pike, uh, they had a loving homage back to The Cage. And so, this was kind of a sequel to The Cage. It was
1: very, very strange. And it was excellent. And it was kind of the most overt. Obviously, there's a lot of references to the original series. Yeah. Yeah. including like (laughs) amazingly um Dwight Schrute from The Office playing
0: um Harry
1: Mudd Harry Mudd oh my god that was so good um of whom
0: doesn't appear in the second season at all
1: no no not as well no he he doesn't he doesn't yeah thanks for ruining that for me sorry um but yeah no I think that um they've obviously done a lot you know there's there's they're obviously playing playing a lot of service to it and doing it for laughs and doing it because it's funny and it's great there's
0: also a lot of continuity errors from what people know about star trek because right. star trek's one of these things where the fans really glob onto that yes and so a lot of the classic star trek fans have been annoyed that they haven't paid that much attention they, they, to that they've it. done the nods but they haven't but like done it that part of the course accurately. correction that's happening in the back back end of this season is to actually try to take care of some of these continuity issues wow. and explain them away and bring it together so why did spock never mention Berman? <laughs> In all those episodes of Star why, Trek, why would he not have talked about
1: his beloved sister?
0: There could be a reason. Uh but they've essentially done a sequel to the cage. It's a, it was reason. incredible.
1: I thought it was just so good. I I mean from the kind of montage at the start, I was just like, Yeah, like the previously oh on Star god. Trek
0: where they don't even do the classic Star Trek logo. It's the Star Trek logo from the pilot episode. Oh my
1: god, I didn't notice that. That was, yeah. a, that was just so excellent, I thought. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, really smart. And also they brought back one of the characters from the cage. Uh and this time played by Melissa George.
1: I thought it was Melissa George. We we'll were trying yeah. to work that out. I didn't bother checking at the end. Um, yeah, but just, just fantastic, I thought.
0: It was so weird because I've met Melissa George. And it's so strange when you're watching a TV show that it's like someone of whom you've spent more than like a minute and a half with. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's that person. That's them up yeah. there.
1: Uh, wow, so that's a... Um, that's one of your best name drops yet, I reckon. That's a great one. I, I can do some better. I've, I've You'd be hard-pressed to impress me more than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm just so excited about more Star Trek Discovery. I'm very into it.
0: Yeah. And, like, I... I was into the show, but, like, I think after watching... I literally binge-watched it for, like, a day and a half. I just going episode after episode to catch up with it. Like, first of all, Anson Mounds as Captain Pike is probably one of my favourite TV characters right now. He's That's just been so, so charismatic and charming on that.
1: And and playing it really well, too. Like, uh, sort of taking uh, taking on a lot of those tropes of that kind of, like, very machismo, um, you know, Star Trek captain, but, but being very reasonable. And especially after the disaster of the um, male captain of the last... Of the first season.
0: Yeah, Jason Isaacs.
1: <laughs> it was fantastic, but it was just... But it's just-
0: interesting you talking about him taking on, like, that sort of macho, like, you know, alpha male sort of thing, because a big part of the second half of the season storyline has been about him dealing with, and I can't think of the name of the, the Klingon guy...
1: Ah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Clem Fandango is his, um, is his name to me because he appeared in the television show Toast um, as <laughs> <Sure>. the character <laughs> Clem Fandango. Uh, uh, have you not seen Toast? No, I have not. Oh, my God. Well, there was a- Oh, um, wait,
0: are you talking about, like, Toast of London? Yes. <laughs> I have seen Toast of that's London. That's what it's called. So, yeah. so, I've only seen the first episode, though.
1: So, he's in every episode, Clem Fandango, who plays the- um, he play, That's his character name I've, in that. I've got to go back he plays it. the- Yeah, yeah, it's
0: fantastic. Um, uh, but there's a storyline with him having some issues with that character and he gets called out on it saying that while the rest of the Federation was at war with the Klingons you were on your ship hanging out elsewhere and so he's got a lot of guilt about the fact that he didn't go to war with the rest of the Alpha Male captains
1: Fantastic and it was also amazing how um, he was then uh, at the, how, how that's responded to and I don't, I can't even, I won't even mention it, but it's so, just. Like,
0: he tries to amplify his like masculinity to a certain degree because he wants to try to up his game to look like, you know, he could have participated in a war if, you know, he'd had the opportunity. But he also gets called out on it like the episode afterwards by the, I can't think of the name of the character or the actress. Uh, Jane Brooke is the actress. <laughs> Jane Brooke,
1: she's so good. Formerly of Chicago Hope and Law and Order. Was she in Law and Order? Definitely. I'm not sure which one, but I'm I'm, I'm almost 100% sure She's certain. got to have been in a Law and Order at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. also in Gattaca. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah.
0: I, I love me some Jane Brook. Anyway, she calls him out and says, hey, look, you know, there was a reason why you weren't at war. We deliberately separated you because you're our inspiration. You're the best of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's and it was such a nice moment. And,
1: and, and it really yeah. took the, it sort of took the wind out of him and he was like, oh, thanks. It was, it was very, it was very cool play, the way they played it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But no, there's just been like these really smart character moments. And of all the Star Trek I've seen, probably one of the most affecting scenes I've seen was from this most recent season. And it was straight after the change of showrunners took place. And this is kind of when I thought it was in good hands. They go to Saru's home planet where they meet Saru's sister. And she's the only person I've come across so far there. And she sees Michael. And so she suddenly starts connecting the idea that Saru's been off in space and it actually becomes a real idea to her. And they explain to her that it's not just that there's one other species of people out there, but really there's thousands upon thousands of different types of creatures. And so suddenly, like, you just see this character as their mind expanding before you as you're watching on screen. And it's really well executed. Like, something like that could just be, like, a really naff moment. But there's such a charm about the idea of just this woman realizing that there's so much more out in the world that she's just got no idea that could possibly really, that she could never have fathomed it until that very moment. And so she goes over and just like sort of touches Michael, and you just, it's just such a powerful moment. It was fantastic. I completely
1: agree with you. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I've just never seen anything like that on Star Trek or like most shows don't really achieve that sort of moment.
1: No, nah, and it's, and it's, and it dates back to that thing. You know, it goes, Plays totally back to that thing you were talking about where, you know, we're kind of looking at, well, I, well, maybe that does illustrate that point that you are making that you hadn't seen things that sort of talk about our modern kind of political climate in yeah. represented in this show. But maybe that sort of to some degree does.
0: And look, I mean, maybe part of the reason why that affected me so much is because there's a lot of nasty stuff happening in the world right now.
1: Yeah, it's nice to see. To, it was just nice to have resonator. something to feel nice about. Yeah. All right, I'm going to do this thing. I've got up Jane Brooks' page. Um, <laughs> you are not going to believe some of the movies that she's been in. The aforementioned Superman four, The Quest for Peace,
0: uh, which we talked about what two weeks ago. A <laughs> weeks ago. Um,
1: she's also in Don't Tell so, Mum the Babysitter's Dead.
0: Okay, sorry. Who does she play in Superman IV: The Quest for Peace?
1: The JFK JFK high school teacher.
0: Okay. Um, That would have been a pretty early role for her, surely.
1: Yeah, 87. I think that's as far back as it goes. Um, Yeah, don't tell mum the babysitter's dead. I'm going to guess she was (laughs) mum. She's in Gadigal, as you said. (laughs) She would have been too young to play mum, surely. Surely, yeah, you're right. She was in LA Law. Okay. She did a lot of TV stuff, obviously, yeah. Yeah. So good. I can't find any law and order. I might be totally... So in CSI Miami. Are you allowed to be in a CSI and a law and order?
0: I think legally you can. Is that is there a precedent for that? No, I'm sure there's plenty of precedents.
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah. I mean, I think, and her role in the program is just so good. And I think it just gives this kind of like excellent perspective over the whole, because I mean, I, I guess she's the highest ranking Federation officer that we've sort of seen. I think so. There might be a couple of things where she's talking with somebody else. But yes, yeah, just, just so good in it. Someone will um, email about that to. Cool us
0: I certainly hope so
1: wrong and I hope they do too but anyway Star Trek Discovery Grey's Anatomy she's also in Boston awesome. Legal <laughs> I'll stop I'll stop
0: oh gosh I, I just want to watch some Chicago Hope now yeah but anyway Star Trek Discovery if you're not really a Trekkie I still think maybe check this out one of the things that's always bothered me with Star Trek particularly through the 90s is they introduced a lot of techno babble which is characters just sort of shouting stuff which is sort of nonsensical and it's just yeah. it just felt a bit enough this is a lot more human. It's a lot more grounded, and it really is like if you've got these people of whom are traveling through space and you know encountering strange new worlds. Yeah,
1: I couldn't. Um, yeah, I couldn't give it a high recommendation myself. And I think, yeah, you're dead right. I think it really does appeal a lot, um, a lot more broadly than what any Star Trek previously has. Yeah.
0: Look, I'm gonna maybe have one complaint about this season, which is for two episodes you got Tignataru in the show comedian Tig Nataro. now I don't mind Tig I really liked she had an Amazon series that I've forgotten the name of it was a good show I really enjoyed that but in this she is terrible she is completely lousy as an actress and so you just watching... love
1: making people angry don't you do
0: <laughs> no but I'm a fan of Tig but in yeah no, this, I know what you're saying she doesn't have the acting chops and she just disappears from the series entirely and I feel it's because they realize wait I don't think she can carry this. Do you
1: think that this is similar to what they did in Next Generation, where celebrities who were big Trekkies would put their hand up and go, hey, I'd love to do an episode, and then they get brought in? Or do you think there was something...
0: Oh, look, I mean, is that's that happening part- with this? It could possibly well have been part of the reason why she got involved. Yeah. I mean, I'm not too sure. I sure, don't sure. yeah quite no. But I was talking about techno babble. The episode that she's in, the second one, is filled with so much techno babble in it that the episode's almost unwatchable, and her acting performance in it does not help. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. fair
1: enough. There's a big strike against Tig.
0: <laughs> Massive strike against Tig. <laughs> oh my god. And on that note, let's finish this podcast. Yeah,
1: shall we? I, I agree. Um, thanks very much for listening to the Always Be Watching podcast, <laughs> the um, Always
0: Be Slamming Tig Notaro <laughs> podcast. Um, my name's Chris. Uh, My name's Dan. If you like the podcast, please leave reviews on the various podcast platforms. Helps other people find the show. Also, subscribe to our newsletter at alwaysbewatching.com. And while you're there, you know, check out the other articles on the site. We've got something happening, I'm sure. There's so much to read on that site. It's incredible. There's not that much, really. (laughs) It's just publications of the newsletter. Uh, Yeah, well, there's a lot to read there. There is a lot. Also, something we haven't done, but people keep on asking me about it, the theme song to this here podcast. Uh, ah. Chris, who's this by?
1: Uh, this is by a Sydney act called Vape Dads. You can check out Vape Dads at vapedads.bandcamp.com, I believe, or just Google
0: it. You only have to Google anything these days. And you can buy like stuff from uh, Bandcamp, right? I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sure. the Vape Dads have been very nice to give us a theme song. I'm glad people have been asking. Indeed. Anyway, this has been the end of Always Be Watching. For this week, we'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. See ya. Nobody's asked.
1: (laughs) I know nobody's asked.